Kristoff, again, learned the lesson the hard way. He was early in the crypto space with his DAO. Obviously, had a bug. Uh, he's moving on now past that, building Slock.it, which basically is just software that sits on top of IoT devices and allows people to get paid for their physical assets or use of their physical assets in cryptocurrency. They've raised $2 million earlier this year, 14 people scaling out there in Europe and elsewhere. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This that database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. This is episode 781. Coming up tomorrow morning, I talked to Bruce Pond. He launched his company in the crypto space. He's now doing $50,000 a month of recurring revenue to build a crypto database to track accuracy. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Christoph Jensch. He is His background is in theoretical physics, and he's been part of the Ethereum project since 2014 as a lead tester. At the end of 2015, he co-founded Slock.it, working on the decentralized sharing economy through the connection of blockchain and IoT, Internet of Things. One of the more famous projects he was part was the DAO, the DAO, which we'll talk about here in a second. Christoph, are you ready to take us to the top? Sure. Okay, what, what is that? What's DAO stand for? What was that project? This is called the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. So this was a project, basically a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain, which aimed for connecting people to pull their funds together into one smart contract, and they could then decide what they, want, what they would spend it on. So whatever they want. I mean, they could do a charity, they could fund startups, they could fund other projects, whatever they want. But long story short, it failed, and we basically worked for giving everybody their money back, which we did succeed that and yeah, that's a very short story, but there's of course a lot of things behind it. So back in episode 758 of this podcast, I had Anthony Delorio on, which obviously he's you know ex Toronto Stock Exchange. Some people credit him with you know one of the early folks behind Ethereum. Um, he said he was a major part. You know the backstory. Was would you say he was a major part of founding Ethereum? Yeah, he was one of the early um, developed members of the of the Ethereum Foundation. Yeah. And what and how, what was your association early on with Ethereum back in 2014? So I joined, yeah, summer 2014 um, as a lead tester. So I was responsible for writing tests and all the clients would run those to see if they are true to the protocol. Because if you think about what Ethereum actually is, it is just a protocol. Yep. We define how people interact with each other. And I would write those tests and see, we call them consensus tests. So to see that all the client implementations, like the C++ client, Python client, Go client, Rust, Yep. JavaScript and so on, that they all would follow the same rules. So that's what I did. So I did work very closely together with Vitalik Buterin, Gavin Wood, and Sheffy Wilker to ensure that all their clients were in sync. 
Interesting. Okay, so what is the, I mean, look, apart, first off, I want to get my audience, I don't know how sophisticated they are with crypto yet. So I'm going to give an analogy right now. And then you confirm or deny if, if this is your view on how the ecosystem works. I view like each, uh, let's just talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum right now. And they're each like two separate railroad tracks, right? And those two different railroad tracks are called blockchains. On top of those railroad tracks, you can build little railroad cars, right? So one is Ethereum uh, that holds uh, Ether coins. And you know, the other car container on the other railroad track is called Bitcoin and it holds, you know, Bitcoins, right? B you know, BTC, right? And then inside of each of those, as startups launch, they can choose to issue those coins for, you know, the new startup they're launching, like Augur was launched on Ethereum or some others choose Ether. Is that general analogy? Have I missed anything? Does that feel accurate to you? Yeah, kind of. So it, in general sense, yes. But if they like Augur, they launched their own token on top of Ethereum. So they basically... So it wasn't Ether. Yeah, so people sent them Ether and got back Augur token. I see. So they, they created basically their own token. Some compared to shares. Some say it's more like an app coin. So like a token you use to, in order to use the app, like an Amazon gift card or something like this. But basically they created their own token of value in exchange for the virtual currency ether got it and then i recently had on the 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 guys behind it, it was this big gaming crypto company uh and the name is escaping me right now but they i think did the same thing and issued back go mobile tokens which and it was like a 53 million dollar uh kind of token issuance what, what was that do you remember the name of the guy behind that again or the um, company there have been a lot of ICOs recently. ICO stands for Initial Coin Offering. And there are very different opinions about if this is legal or not, or good or bad. But that's one of the main applications currently of Ethereum, I would say, in terms of what, what people use it for. But that's also what differentiates Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin was always meant for being a virtual currency. Mm -hmm. Currency meaning you exchange it to trade goods or something else. Ethereum, on the other hand, does have a virtual currency named Ether, but its purpose is to be an open source platform in order to build decentralized applications, what we call dApps. That's the purpose. And people first used a very simple dApp, which is just issuing a token, which you can do best on the Ethereum blockchain to fund their projects. And we have seen a lot of ICOs and some claim even to say the DAO was an ICO, but it actually really wasn't. But the DAO did collect $150 million worth of Ether. So it was the largest crowdfunding back in its time. And after this, there have been a lot of ICOs, basically crowdfunding, getting Ether. And in the beginning, they did cap their contract, saying, I do not want more than 5 million, 10 million, 12 million. And they increased the cap over time. So one very, uh, one example would be the BAT token for the Brave browser. They raised, I think it was 35 million in a couple of seconds, like 30 seconds or so. And then this, by the way, Christoph, just to be clear, this is made up out of thin air. The, the Brave mobile, they're saying, we want to issue this much worth of value. And then whatever, you know, Coinbase or whatever, you can track the value of these things wherever you want. But whatever the value of a coin is or the that, that's being issued at that time you just divide that into the the 35 million they want to raise and that's how many essentially coins are issued is that accurate i think they did choose a different model they said this is the price of one token and as soon as they had ether was 35 million dollar in they just stopped it they i see could not give any money in there anymore this is actually why not many people got in it was only a couple of hundred people who managed to send ether to the contract in order to buy but tokens 
because then the contract was full basically and this, had million and this is one of the big reasons right now that you're seeing kind of a big fray in the bitcoin world right you've got two different sides kind of competing with different models and they've got to make a resolution i guess sometime in the next several weeks to figure it out i'm not highly versed and educated on on what what it is technically but do you know what i'm referring to do you mean resolution between bitcoin and ethereum no no no, no. there was an article i just read yesterday on bloomberg which was talking about how people behind bitcoin there's a sector that's breaking off that basically says it's unfair yes. that only some people can get in we have a new protocol or a new setup that allows for yeah. that not to happen again what, what's the technical definition behind that so, to make it short and easy so basically the problem is public blockchains do not scale mean you have only a limited amount of transactions which get in currently and in bitcoin it's the def definition in the protocol that one block can only be one megabyte and so currently most of the blocks are full with transactions as a result that the fee to get a transaction in get higher and higher and higher so the closer it gets say, to, you can think of that like a glass of water being filled up the closer it gets to the it, top it, the more expensive the transaction is to get done yeah, could we say it's filled up every time and there's one guy deciding if you can get something in or not and he makes the price that's the miner and he say because there's so high, high demand and this, um, the supply is constant you just increase the price and there's a group of people who there's still different ways of how to improve this to say just let's allow for two megabyte blocks or there's also something called SegWit which would allow for state channels and um, I don't want to go into the technical details but there are uh, technical improvements you can make and they are basically right now discussing how you could do them but all of them need a protocol upgrade mm -hmm. and this is what but if you change the protocol then there are people who keep the old protocol then you have two groups then exactly you have half fork. and that's what currently there's a lot of discussions people are against it people are for it and they try to find a consensus but they are fighting for years now so there is most likely no consensus ever so what you can do is just do the hard fork and just split off and hope that the maturity follows you yep. and if not then your coin is worth nothing but if they follow you then yes your coin has some value so so, so here's my big question when i interview people that are like uppity on i'll just call it uppity they're bullish on crypto the main reason is to say it's decentralized nobody has power over us the the united states government can't just issue more money right it's it's it, it, you know no one knows where the money is it's 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 autonomous blah 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 etc uh but everything you're talking about you said like there's a miner and the glass always gets full and only so many people can get in like it sounds like it's actually very controlled by a very small set of people and how is that any different than what we have today with how governments uh, regulate their currencies so the big difference is everybody can play play a game uh, take part in this game so i could become a miner if i want to i could become a user i am a user of course and i can become a developer and uh, do some improvements and ask the maturity to get behind me it is really a very special kind of decentralized governance but Christoph, yeah, have, just yeah. to dive deep on that for a second, what you're saying is, well, Nathan, if you're frustrated that you can't get in because the glass is almost full on a token issuance, what you could do is just become a miner, right? There's Anyone can participate. But uh, actually, you gave me a confused look when I said that. Is that wrong? Yeah, so you could become a miner for the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, but this wouldn't change anything in terms of capacity. It can still only do one megabyte blocks. And of course, what you could do, although it's not very profitable, to say, I will mine my own transaction. If I have enough mining power to at least mine a block a day or so, yes, then you can get in your transaction for cheap, but you would pay a lot for this because... Mm -hmm. You're um, the only one. 
you're only one. And we would rather say, I take in other transactions and get their money, and it's much, much more profitable. So it doesn't make sense from an economic point of view, let's say it like this. But you could, people create their own blockchains, but of course, then they are missing the network effect, like Bitcoin 2.0 or whatever. Mm. And there's a lot of so-called altcoins or alternative coins, um, because they want to improve on certain certain things on the existing protocol and Ethereum, people started calling it an altcoin, but I would not call it so because it was really developed from scratch with a different purpose on mind, yep. what it is there for, basically to build decentralized applications. And I still think it is decentralized, but maybe not as decentralized as many people think because there's, yeah, there is a couple of dozen of Bitcoin miners who basically control, could control the whole network. Yeah, I mean, these are, these are like, we won't get into specific names and people, but there are people with large amounts of resources in Asia that have set up mining farms basically right and they they do whether you want to admit it or not have control over parts of this ecosystem because of the power they've of the mining operation they've built yes and no no because if the user would say we fork off and do switch to a different consensus algorithm let's say proof of stake they don't need miners anymore as long as most of the users are in this system then you don't mind about the miners. I see. So the, the miners, they serve the blockchain. And yes, therefore, they do have some control of it. But at the end, my opinion is, and everyone will give you some different opinions on this, is that the users are really in charge. If the users say, I will switch to this blockchain or to this fork of a blockchain, then they will force the, the services such as exchanges and other services to use this and to use this coin and give this coin a value. This, what we saw with the DAO was, like after the DAO failed, there was a big discussion about what should be done. And in the end, we did a so-called hard fork, saying we split the chain into two, and the new version, we give everyone their money back. In the old version, the hacker or the thief still has the money. And Why do you call him a thief? Oh, well, if you could, because he did take money which didn't belong to him. Let's say it. But why did he, why did he, how did he do that? Uh, because there was a bug in the smart contract, oh. which, allowed, which made it possible to do it. So you could say from a legal point of view, you could argue, well, it was he was allowed to do so after the smart contract, yes. But from a moral point of view, he did take money which didn't belong to him. That's why I would call him a thief. And so we could not do anything because the smart contract was... Yeah, permission to decentralize so we did have no control over it there was no thing we could do as as the one who, who created a smart contract so we could just look and see how we um did take 50 million dollars into a sub account but there was a rule in the smart contract which gave us about four to five weeks time to solve the problem and the only solution we really came up with which, which had worked was the so-called hard fork making another blockchain on top of the old one and try to convince the maturity to go with this one. And if they would have chosen not to, well, then the thief would have gotten his $50 million. But the maturity of the people said, no, I think it's better to make this improvement and follow the new protocol where everyone got their money back. But there's still a, lot, a small group which did follow the old chain and say, no, we did not agree with this. Let's call Ethereum Classic. And that's why we today have actually two Ethereum blockchains, Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. And this is just one example where the users decide what they can do. They can today choose if they want to go with this blockchain or this blockchain. And they give a blockchain or its coin the real value. Yep, interesting. So what are you doing now in this space? Your first experiment in DAO kind of failed, you, you kind of edited it. What are you doing now? 
we are out doing Slocket, uh, which is focusing on building a decentralized sharing economy. And in short, we, we will, I would say we enable things to receive payments and to enter into complex agreements. So let's take a very simple example. This is a, a door lock. There's a smart door lock, and the owner of this door lock can now set a deposit and a price that allows anyone to pay to get in. Okay. So we basically enable the door lock to receive payments and act on it. Let's say open or close. So that's what we basically do. And this allows people to rent out stuff without meeting with each other or doing anything because it's all done with smart contracts on the blockchain, managing the payment and the renting contract. And what are you, like, are you built on Ethereum? Yes, we build this all on top of the public Ethereum chain. And and what are your what are your tokens called? We don't have tokens. You don't have. So See, this is this is where I don't understand this stuff yet. Educate me. Yeah. So not every startup has their own token. We are using currently just Ether as a payment. Oh, okay. Every token, or every token based on top of Ethereum. So eventually, if if people accept it, you could also pay with tokens of another startup if you want to. Got it. But. A lot of startups do a so-called ICO, initial coin offerings, or issue their own token to finance themselves. I we see. are currently VC funded. So we How got much? A VC, Silicon Valley. So we got a seed funding of two million dollars just beginning of this year. Okay. As a seed. And why, and Christoph? Why do it that way? If you're so uppity on blockchain, one of the things people are saying is like Bitcoin and blockchain is going to take power away from VCs. Why not eat your own dog food and do a token issuance instead? Because first, I think. A lot of those ICOs are actually not legal. So from a legal point of view, you're actually like issuing securities, some of them, not all of them. So it depends a lot on what you're doing. And the second thing is, there is we see money for blockchain startups there. And I don't say we will never do something like this, but I think a lot of the ICOs we see right now is people who do not understand what they are doing, getting convinced by marketing people to put money into something they don't understand, and then those startups raise much more money than they actually need. Mm -hmm. And often it is that you cannot do another token sale. You do a token sale once for a company. So you could compare it a little bit, like doing a seed round and selling 100% of your shares, something you usually should not do. Um, but of course, every ICO is different. There is an ICO of Gnosis, they only sold 4.7 something percent of their, of their shares. There are others who sell 50 or 80 percent of their tokens. So you cannot really say every ICO is the same. Okay. But so you raised, two, you raised a little over 2 million and that was, and then like, how do you make money? Um, currently we don't. Okay. In the long term, we want uh, to make a transaction fee on all the um, rental which, which are happening on our platform. So let's say you, you're renting out your apartment, it's, it's done on the um, Ethereum on the USN platform, it's called a universal share network, that's what we call this product, then you pay a fee to us. But I would not rule out that in the future, if we were to do a token sale, then those token holders would get this fee. Okay, got it. So <clears throat> let me let me keep going down this path. Let's say I wanted to become a customer of Slock.it. Like I wanted, to, I wanted to use it somehow in my life. I could go to, uh, like, like the, your your collaboration. I believe you were, were just referencing with with Energy, right? Is that the one that is the the smart lock? This, this is for charging stations. So with Energy, we did a project to con connect electric charging stations to smart contracts in the blockchain. So if you would become a customer, you could either say, "I want to charge my car at one of those charging stations," and I enter into a smart contract with the owner of the station. That's already nice. But you can do this also with 
other technologies. The much more interesting part is if you are the owner of a charging station because you own an electric car, you could now offer this to the public. You would set a price per kilowatt hour, what you will charge, maybe also price per time for the parking spot, and then you could offer your charging station to the public and earn some money with it. So that's actually the most important use case, that you rent out your assets, in I'm this gonna, case, charging stations. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to make up an example just to see if it applies to apply to more people. So like, let's say I'm listening to the podcast right now. I'm a homeowner and I have a pool, but I travel all the time and I'm like, I'm rarely at my house, but Airbnb, I don't want to rent out my whole house, but I could put a little lock on my pool where other people could come by and basically what tap their phone or something. And for every hour in the pool, it costs a hundred ether. I'm making that up, but is that the general concept? Exactly. hundred ether would be very expensive, but yes. Well, it's a damn, <laughs> it's a damn good pool, Christoph. <laughs> yes. That's just fine. But it's exactly the example we are thinking of. And we have worked together with a company called uh, Fast Designs, which built a product called Noki, which are small padlocks, which you can right now open close via Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. And we are basically adding a payment option to just say you open it by paying. Yeah, of that's what you really are. That's what Slack IT is. It's basically a payment, like a payment thing for people to sell their physical assets on a time basis. So go use my car for X amount of time, my house for this, my whatever, my charging station, whatever. Now, people would say, Nathan, this is Airbnb. But the difference here is we couldn't be integrated into the device. So basically, if Slocket would not be there anymore, it would still work. You could not say this from Airbnb because the device itself has now this feature that it will listen to what's happening on a blockchain. If someone makes a payment, it opens up. This will work with or without Slocket. But so you just said you easy. want to charge a transaction fee. That's how you make money. So don't you have to make sure it goes through you for you to make an actual good business model? Right now in the smart contract, yes, you would, you would charge a transaction fee. That's right. But I mean, you, do, you don't need any servers from Slocket. You don't need anything for it to work. But so I don't need that from Airbnb either. I just have to list my house and then they find people and then I make money. Oh, it's on their server. Um, if, if Airbnb would shut down, uh, the website would shut down, your data oh, would be I gone. Oh, I see, I see. If Slocket would go down, then the smart lock would still work. It would still accept Ether as a payment because it would listen to the Ethereum blockchain. So as long as the Ethereum blockchain is still live and running, this lock will always listen to it. And who and makes the money? Where does the transaction fee go if you're dead? Okay, in this case, we are, I mean, we would always make a transaction fee of this. I mean, we would still have the Ether account. I mean, this is, we can, but if, even if the company would not exist anymore, our Ether account would. I mean, as long as we do not lose our private key to this account, we could still have access to the funds. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, this makes good sense. So, and I want to tie this back because uh, what a lot of people struggle with crypto is like, I'm an entrepreneur. I like crypto. I don't really understand it, but I don't like VC. So maybe I should go do crypto because everyone says crypto is anti-VC. But how do you actually, you yourself, what, like, what are your, where are you living right now? I'm living in a small town called Bedweida in East Germany. Okay. And what are your total monthly expenses for food, your rent? If you have a wife, you know, her stuff. Well, like, what are your total expenses as a household? Well, let's, let's not take my total expenses. So let's take an average expenses of someone living here. So in this area, I would say if you spend two to three thousand per month, you have a nice life. Okay. And how do you pay yourself? Do you just have a salary along with your other founders at Slocket and you just pay yourself with yeah. the VC so, money? Yes. In our company, we have a normal salary for each one working here, not done in crypto. Because ah, okay. I still think, um, as of now, crypto is not a very good currency. Yeah. People call it currency, but if you look at the transaction fees of Bitcoin, which is sort of a cryptocurrency, it's very high. You mean like so, if I want to take my Ether or my Bitcoin and put it through like Coinbase to make it real dollars I can spend, it's expensive? 
if you make a real transaction on the real blockchain, so in Coinbase, often they're just having numbers in their database saying who owns what. It's not always a real transaction on the blockchain, but if you would do so, and a real transaction, you would pay on Bitcoin quite a lot right now. Ether, much less, so it's much better, but Ether is very volatile as Bitcoin. So it is nice for some things, and I hope that it would become a currency in the future. But if you go to your tax account, and if you go to your notaries, all those services, you have to pay in euros, and they do, don't know what to do with Ether or Bitcoin or anything like this. If you are a complete anarchist, can't you just trade it though through Bitcoin? Like, can't you, if you want to go shopping at Walmart, can't you just trade your Ether through Coinbase, then take those dollars or euros? You can. Of course, why not? And what you're, what you're saying is we don't think that's an efficient system yet, which is why we pay ourselves real salaries from real dollars. And also it's very cumbersome if you go to the tax authorities and try to explain this and make a tax report. So I have nothing against paying people in Ether. It's just not easy right now. I see. So it's, uh, so, and it's also not, not so important because, as I said, I think currency is the least interesting aspect of blockchain for me right that's now. That's just where it started. It's where it started. This is the, the application of Bitcoin. But you see the limitations in scalability and even in privacy and all of this. Then actually, I have to say it's not a very good currency. People are starting also to say it's just a store of value. I could go with this. But then you would say, why does it have value? Well, you can use it as a currency and then you have the problem, actually. So yeah. I, I, it does have features. You can do a lot of nice things with it. But for me, if I think about blockchain and especially Ethereum and smart contracts, it opens up different Applications. It, it opens up something I would call programmable money, and that becomes Pro what? Programmable money. Pro programmable, programmable yeah. money. Yeah. Sorry for my pronunciation. That's I okay. Have a strong German dialect. No, I have a strong um, American accent. Maybe you have the right one. You know. <laughs> yeah. Programmable so, uh, money. That's what I like, and yeah, yes, it, uh, of course, it's it's money for me in, in this regard. Like if you pay for to open a lock, and but in the end, our users will most likely not pay in Ether, although they can if they want to, but they most likely will pay with a token which is um, bound to euros, a euro token, yeah. which is always worth one euro. That's what we have done with Chain Charge because their users, they're just very normal people, no idea about blockchain or crypto, and they are paying actually in euro in the application. Real so, quick, Christoph, last few questions here because we're way over time, but I'm interested. So that's why you know I, I did I lost track of time. Your let's talk about your ignore crypto for a second. Your business specifically, uh, it takes plastic and metal and material to create the thing that the electric charger owner would put into his electric charger to allow it to accept kind of Bitcoin or crypto as payment. Who is paying for those little devices right now? Is that you? Right now, we do build hardware. We integrate an existing hardware. So it's more or less just a software update. Okay. Um, many of those devices already have enough computing power to run a so-called light client, okay. uh, which can connect to um, the blockchain. And how many... How many yeah. uh, how many devices so Internet of Things how many things is your software kind of on top of right now? So we just started, but with the charging stations, you have a little over a thousand charging stations right now. Okay, but add but, up everything: charging stations and any other applications. Like other stuff is not live yet. Okay. So we have not released our live version yet, so there is nothing out there except of the charging stations. Interesting. Okay, and when did you? Uh, what's your team size? Right now we have 14 people. Okay. So most of them started within the last six months. So mostly developers. Just, mostly developers. Yeah. Okay. And when did you guys raise that capital again? 
It was in February this year. February. Okay, very cool. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back -back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also, they make it very easy to schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay, at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. It helps me so much. And by the way, look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings, okay? I do them back to back, very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay, so I use the tool, it's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin, I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14 day trial, isn't that great? I said, no. He's given us a 45 day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not gonna stay up forever, so go get it now. nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Awesome, well, Christoph, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? I like CEO to one of Peter Thiel. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Um, God. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Number three, uh, what's your favorite online tool? Uh, it's GitHub. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I get my eight hours. That's least. good. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? I, I'm married, have five kids. Do you have five kids? I do have five kids. Oh my gosh. A happy, family, happy family life. That's... How old's the youngest? The youngest is two. Wow, okay, and how old are you? I am 32. Okay, last question. Take us back 12 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Well, wish about knowing the bug in the DAO. I mean, the re-entrancy bug. Don't do such a thing again. So. Wait, say, say that again? So I wish I would have known how to avoid the bug in the DAO. So avoid the what in the DAO? The fork? The, bu the bug. The, the bug in the DAO smart contract code, so the, the failure. Oh, the bug. Avoid the bug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avoid the bug in the DAO smart contract code. I mean, if I... Smart contract security back then, but this was not a topic back then when I was 20, so... Yep, yep. Very good. There, guys, have it from Christoph. Again, learned the lesson the hard way. He was early in the crypto space with his DAO. Obviously, had a bug. Uh, he's moving on now past that, building Slock.it which basically is just software that sits on top of IoT devices and allows people to get paid for their physical assets or use of their physical assets in cryptocurrency. They've raised $2 million earlier this year, 14 people scaling out there in Europe and elsewhere. Christoph, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. If you enjoyed Christoph today, go back and listen to Brandon yesterday. He has doubled his SaaS company's annual current revenue over the past 12 months from 6 million to 12 million. So the question is, how do you do it?